0: You're listening to 3CR's Renegade Economist with your host Carl Fitzgerald as we investigate the role of landlords, bankers and natural monopolies through the eyes of the commons. Our birthrights, our rights. Welcome to the Renegade Economist with your host Carl Fitzgerald. This week broadcasting from Woodgate. Yes, from Woodford to now Woodgate. In Queensland, uh, on the edge of Hervey Bay, hoping to see some whales here as we continue our all the good things journey around Australia for uh, wow another four months. So, uh, as you do in this uh, this era, you have to check out the local neighbouring. Real estate agency, don't you? And uh, seems like there's a change of sentiment in uh, what's going on here in Woodgate. Some of the language used on the ads were oceanfront spectacular, price slashed from $750,000 to now only 670000 369000 only. All you'll ever want another one. Luxury residence, price is slashed by 70000 Only 289000 negotiable. How's this, uh, What is this worth to you? That is the price my vendor will consider. Sensational value. Only $570,000 negotiable and on and on it goes. So yeah it, it seems like uh, prices are slowing in some of these uh, tourism retirement type uh, towns and that's of course a reflection of the rampant price increases that we've seen here in Australia and uh, Yeah, I'm eagerly awaiting our uh, ABS data from System of National Accounts. Should be due in a couple of months to uh, reveal just how much Australia's land values increased in the last year. I expect it will be lower than last year's record $525 billion increase in land values. And all around the world we're seeing more and more concern from the community from uh, families being priced out of areas where their community roots have been established. The rental market has, uh, the rental market is now facing a corporatization issue through the uh, rental-backed mortgage securities. And there was a shocking headline I just had to report in to you this week. The national real estate investor in America uh, has the headline, Plummeting Home Ownership Rate, Good News for Investors in Single-Family Homes. And for us Aussies, single-family homes are just a typical uh, quarter-acre block home. So, uh, uh, yeah, it was interesting to see that... uh they're talking up this falling rate of of home ownership in the US, which has steadily declined since 2006, reaching a 50-year low, according to the US Census Bureau. With that, they're expecting that it will be good times for real estate investors as uh, this era of ever-increasing part-time work forces more and more people into the rental market it's almost impossible to get a mortgage when you have part-time work. This casualised workforce approach uh, is, is shredding the social fabric of our communities and that's why dealing with the land story, dealing with the resultant housing affordability quagmire is uh, one of the core tenets of what we talk about here on The Renegade Economist. And so I'm going to play a couple of clips to you today just highlighting some of the the different approaches that are going on. Uh, You remember uh, there's been quite a number of shows from uh, based around California where I visited a few times and they have a new uh, policy they're trying to push forward called a housing affordability impact fee. Let's listen to a couple of clips coming out of Oakland, California.
1: now what's before us is for the council to adopt a 90-day emergency ordinance that seeks to temporarily strengthen and expand Oakland's rent stabilization ordinance. We
2: are here tonight to bring a very serious issue. The council is notorious for not taking serious action, especially with regard to housing issues. Tonight, we want that to be different.
3: I think it's really wonderful that we have so many people here tonight and we have six
4: overflow rooms.
2: We are tearing our community apart. We came up with a request for a moratorium to say stop, pause, take a breather. Let's stop this madness for a while so that the council can have time to think.
3: It is imperative that the city start helping tenants when they are displaced. It is ridiculous that we are at this point and I actually hold each and every one of you responsible. We lost 25% of the black population in East Oakland. For me that's serious because I
1: lost my grandkids. My grandkids had to move to Sacramento. But it's about our children and our future. What's going to happen to us? We need we need housing now. Thank you.
3: I can't afford to live any place
2: else because rent is so high. Our teachers can't afford to live here. Do something today. Please consider the landlords that don't, that haven't driven up their rent. This does nothing to
4: help anybody. It only harms the very people that are actually providing housing and trying to do the right thing.
3: So what is before the council to adopt tonight in item three is a very important step, but It's missing one of the big loopholes in our tenant protection laws, which is the loophole for newer buildings. We still need a ballot measure to close the new building loophole for just cause, and we still need to change state law to close the new building loophole for our rent protections.
2: You can buy a home
3: rent in Oakland jumped 40% from August 2014 to March 2016. That's a surge higher than any other major U.S. city. My grandchildren will no
1: longer be able to afford to live here in Oakland. And I know I'm only one of many families that have been broken up because of displacement.
4: We've been urging, we've been pleading for y'all to do something about it. Nothing's being done. In an
3: effort to fund more housing, the city of Oakland is considering a new affordable housing impact fee. This follows the footsteps of other Bay Area cities that have recently created impact fees. But what is an affordable housing impact fee anyway? It's a set amount of money the city will charge developers to build new market-rate housing projects. For renters, housing is considered affordable if the renter can pay for their housing using 30% or less of their income. But Oakland renters making the city's median income actually spend about 73% of their income on rent. So Oakland really needs more affordable housing, and the city council thinks an impact fee could be part of the solution. Oakland's proposed plan gives developers two options. Pay the impact fee, which is different depending on where the developer wants to build, or a developer can set aside a percentage of their new units for affordable housing. If all goes according to plan, the impact fee will go into effect September 1st of this year. The city estimates the impact fee could pay for 600 new affordable units over 10 years, which would only make a small impact on the demand for new affordable housing. So in reality, the new impact fee is just the first step to fixing the affordable housing crisis.
0: That clip talking about the housing affordability impact fee will only deliver 600 homes over a decade. That is nothing in Oakland. It's minuscule, as they admit at the end of the video. What's really needed is broad-based land tax reform. They need to reduce taxes on employers. Get rid of payroll tax and increase land taxes is a good state-based reform that could easily happen. Get rid of stamp duties, increase land taxes. One of the first ways we could do that. Uh, is by reducing the land tax threshold. This could be the first port of call. Here in Queensland, the land tax threshold's over $550,000. That means that land taxes do not work where they're meant to, to create affordable housing. Remembering that land tax is, of course, a counterweight to mortgage debt. The higher the land tax is, the lower the land price will be because the purchaser the market understands that that land tax has to be paid over the next 20 years so you essentially subtract that off what you're willing to pay for that land and that means that your mortgage cost will be a lot lower your debt overhead reduced and hopefully you will only be spending some 20 to 25 percent on your housing cost rather than some double that these days but uh Housing affordability impact fee, sort of like the horse bolted. It's the land price that's the, that's the problem. And if you hit the developers, that's obscuring the real problem of the middlemen, the land sharks who are in there, who sold the land to those developers. That's where a land tax is effective because it deters that land hoarding and. Uh, improves the uh, liquidity of the market so that the developer can buy the land cheaper to begin with and because uh, we've removed stamp duties and so forth uh, a lot of big blocks of land would be encouraged you know like the the grandma who's living in the, the four bedroom drafty home all by herself with the huge the huge backyard would be encouraged to sell that off and perhaps move to a delightful retired-type community like uh, here in Woodgate, Queensland. Oh yeah, someone I saw earlier today was was chuffed that they'd won one dollar at the pokies. And they were gonna go back in and play another game on the pokies. Imagine if that's what you worked your life for, just to be able to retire and play the pokies. There must be more to life, hey? All right, well, let's get into the next clip here on 3CR's Renegade Economists. What's exciting for me is uh, the emergence of the community land trust movement alongside the co-op movement. And uh, in New York, they have a group of artists, which has swelled to some 300 supporters, has set up the Real Estate Investment Co-op. Of New York, and they're asking people to uh, donate to their cause. So let's hear this short clip.
4: We want to live in a New York City
0: of community prosperity,
3: where small businesses, local culture, and civic groups thrive.
4: But everywhere we look, rising rents are forcing out the small and the local.
3: So we got together to do something about it. We asked ourselves what if investment in real estate and concern for local community went together?
4: We're creating a mechanism for community-based real estate investment. It's called a real estate investment cooperative.
3: Here's how it works. Anyone can join. Members make a $10 investment and get one vote.
4: We democratically select and secure commercial space and create a legal framework with community oversight that guarantees affordable rent forever.
3: In just three months, we have over 300 members working together to save the New York City we love from vanishing.
4: If we want equitable, local and healthy economies, we know what to do. Leverage our power to secure and finance the commons.
0: So instead of a one vote, one value, you have $10 for one vote. I'm not quite sure if that means uh, you donate $1,000, you get uh, 100 votes. Uh, I'm not sure how democratic that will be but uh, uh, it's great that people are getting together and realizing they can work towards the big challenge of creating housing that is perpetually affordable. We can only do that if there is some sort of location fee, a land tax there to tax it away. People have been trying different uh, strategies for hundreds of years but it always comes back to this age-old system of collecting the ground rent, of ensuring that those who have the apartment overlooking Central Park in New York would pay a bit more than someone who lived out in the outskirts of Brooklyn or beyond. So from what's happening in New York, let's slide over to the UK and hear about the momentum in the UK where since 2008 over 150 community land trusts have been established it's quite something Uh, and this video puts together four or five community land trusts and some of the highlights behind it have a listen to what is their number one challenge
1: the housing crisis there's not enough it's too expensive and often poor quality But community-led housing can offer great value, even in urban areas where demand is highest and land at a premium.
2: It's about a grassroots-led development, which engages with many members of the community, local government, local business, to find a permanent solution to housing crisis.
1: To me, it means that it's the community themselves who have had the
2: idea and the initiative and the passion to seek a way of providing housing for themselves that they they can afford and that is sort of tailor-made for them as the sort of thing that they want to live in.
3: For us, it's about the community taking control of a large piece of land in Tottenham. And if we don't get control of it, then it's going to be a developer who builds houses that the developer wants for profit. And what we want to do is build housing that is for local people, where local people have a real say in it.
1: I see it as an opportunity to kind of take back control of design quality and enable communities to kind of manage the design process themselves.
0: We're actually building communities
2: rather than just houses. What we need to do is find all sorts of ways of bringing new value to the process of building houses
0: because in simple terms you can't borrow a lot of money, hire an architect, buy a site, put a builder in and then put people in paying affordable or cheap rents and pay back what you borrowed with the money from the rent because it doesn't cover it. So there always has to be some more money in the equation. What we were able to do here is negotiate with the council to provide us with a site for a pound. We also got a large grant from the Homes and Communities Agency and we've added in a small but nevertheless significant element of self building.
2: The current project is uh, the Church Grove site, which is a piece of land in Lewisham, which the council's transferring to the Community Land Trust for a pound and on which we're hoping to build 33 affordable homes. It's a self-built housing project, so if people are up for it, they can build as much as they want. And what that means is also they get a sweat equity discount on the rent or part ownership they may buy of the property. The advantage of individuals of being part of Russ is that they get an affordable home. Um, They get a very low energy home, so it means that it's going to be built to passive house standards, and bills will be very low. They get an opportunity to influence the design of the home. It's co-designed by the residents to their wishes, really, and their tastes. They can learn skills in in building their home. And also other things will be advantages like growing food on the site because we're trying to make the site as self-sufficient as possible.
1: A sustainable neighborhood we're looking for land at the moment and we want the housing to be made of straw bale and that's why we've built this to teach ourselves straw bale building to be sustainable we think that people have to live much more densely so we're building housing that's actually 12 square meters per individual person and then there'll be an enormous amount of community space which you'll use if you want to have a party a dinner party or if your mum comes to stay and the community space will have other projects in it, for example, urban agriculture, because our food supply is a very important part of our sustainability in the future. Growing is a wonderful way to bond community and to deal with mental health and isolation problems. There will be multi-use workspace, which we hope will be light industry and commercial space. And another project is a community kitchen, which is about empowering community through food. I am preparing uh, lunch club. So this is a very different idea from normal housing where you're alone and you rent or by. We all have a say in the governance of it and it's easy to get involved. This means that people have enthusiasm for it, they have creativity for it and they know their neighbourhood and it's solving their problems and people own the project. I would like to live there and it's. You know, it's more than just the actual physical buildings and spaces. It's about having a community around me, having that that sense of ownership. Today we're bringing together a group of people from different sectors, different experiences, to talk about community-led housing. And we're asking them to imagine the future, to use their collective experience to explore what could be for community-led housing.
2: Um, but we've had we had a load up about land and um, land values. So access and availability to land. Power and um, it being the main
1: barrier. So governance, legislation, policy, politics, foreign ownership of London.
2: We talked about the skills gap as well. It's often quite challenging because these can be quite complex developments and sites. I think that the the legislative frameworks and and policies need to be in place to provide the land um, or the funding to to obtain the land, uh, create a more level playing field uh, with private sector development. It would be better to
4: have more government support and that support should come from local authorities and also from central government.
3: I think it needs to be written into the policy, not just as a single line but it has to be the spaces, the funding and the timescale to allow the community to, to settle and also the policy makers to settle into the idea of that particular community and really cater for them. It's the commitment from pe- people who own the resources to, to trust us
2: um, and believe in what we're doing. How can we better attract other forms of funders into the sector? How can we leverage in money from other sources that can help boost the sector and help bolster it as well.
3: I'd like to see something that enables a much greater level of participation and that hopefully would show a demand that would get a response from funders, policy makers, and would oil the wheels and make the whole thing become easier and less reliant on volunteers giving up a huge proportion of their time, which um, makes it much harder to scale up.
2: For people to be inspired to try something, they have to know what the impact is and they have to know what's in it for them. So they need to be able to see the benefits that other people have experienced by going through the same process and there's some support out there to help them deliver it.
1: Just raising awareness and helping communities and authorities understand the role that community-led housing can have in improving the
3: housing quality. We need to rekindle that spark that people can actually do it themselves.
0: The number one challenge there was access to land. And of course, uh, the planners who were involved in that workshop there talked about government involvement, government bailing them out and giving them uh, cheap land. Well, again, that's going to hurt the public purse. It's going to uh, slow down the process. It's going to mean that the community is somewhat reliant on government rather than lobbying for... The tax change is needed so that it's not just land trusts who get affordable land, it's the entire community. That's what we really want. Uh, But how can we uh, build the momentum forward? Hopefully community land trusts continues to grow as uh, a possible uh, policy alternative because people are just getting so desperate as you're hearing in some of these clips. So to finish the show off, I wanted to mention Five keys to Georgism. Henry George, of course, was the economist who took to its logical conclusion what Adam Smith, John Stuart Mill, David Ricardo had all written and talked about, and uh, that was that we were all born onto this planet as equals. So if that's the case, we should all have an equal share to the, the bounty of the land. That's what a land tax really does. Collects that bounty, that locational value, and shares it with everyone. But it's that fact that we're all born onto the planet as equals. How does it play out in reality? We need more than just a democracy. We need an economic democracy. And that's what uh, this land tax system does. That's why I'm so passionate about it. The second point is uh, the Lockean proviso that we should all own the fruits to our labor. Why should we be taxed for working when so much money is made just by buying and selling the domain of the earth? It's just upside down and back to front. And if you read Michael Hudson's Killing the Host ebook or paperback, you'll certainly get uh, a, a strong grounding in why the 1% are uh, benefiting so lavishly these days. Building on this, uh, uh, point number three is we need to understand the difference between earned and unearned income. Earned income results from a productive function, whether uh, you're cleaning someone's floors, you're producing chairs, or you're an IT whiz making a new app that's useful, that people pay for. They're all productive elements. They all require a a reasonable rate of return for our time invested whereas unearned income occurs with no productive gain to society it's essentially a paper shuffling exercise where someone owns a prime location they own some shares in a oil company perhaps they were lucky enough to claim some of the electromagnetic spectrum. Over time, more and more people on this planet means there's greater competition for that location, for that electromagnetic spectrum. Everyone wants their mobile phone to work. So the value of those property rights goes up. And that's where we really must focus our attention because without a tax system that creates equality between those who own and those who don't. Any premise of equality is a pantomime. So it's a crucial point, earned and unearned income. And unearned income results in a price that is higher than the cost of production plus the normal rate of return. And it's that excess price that's known as economic rent. So the fourth point is that these monopoly rights must be taxed away. Location, location is essential for real estate strategy but irrelevant in economic theory. Why is that? Read The Corruption of Economics by Mason Gaffney and Fred Harrison. My, oh, my, did that book blow my mind. And lastly, by sharing the bounty of the earth, there is less need for taxation or government interference because we are raising our public revenues by addressing the root source of our problems. That is, if we do keep the price of land low, everything else can benefit. We don't have to work so many hours so we can grow our own food, we can live locally, we can get involved with our local community garden, we can meet more people, we can do it ourselves. All of those things are possible, but if the high price of land continues, this invisible noose of mortgage debt of land price payment keeps us lockstep in line, and the creative passion for life on Earth dwindles. So, by doing this, we can essentially slow down to the rhythm of nature, and yeah, get in the flow of uh, of of more sensible economic growth rates. So much of it is driven by these debts, these compound interests that are based on high land prices. So maybe I missed a key element of Georgism there, but uh, for me, that's a broad brush approach to the, the central tenets of this age-old philosophy that can be found through uh, indigenous culture in the Javanese, through to pagan times, there's always been an understanding of sharing the bounty of the earth so that we can all prosper fairly. My name's Carl Fitzgerald. Thanks for your support. Thanks for sharing this with your networks. Get in touch via renegades at earthsharing.org.au if you've got a question. I'd love to hear from you.